Welcome back to another exciting episode of Sustainably Influenced. Today is episode eight. I can't believe that we are eight episodes into the season. There's only two more to go. This week, we're going to be talking about eco-friendly transportation. I'm your host, Bianca Foley, and I'm going to be joined by a really great guest this week. I can't wait for us to really get into this topic. We're talking to a guest who is the PR and somebody who works with the team at Cowboy Bikes, and it's something that I'm quite interested in because I've been toying with the idea of getting an e-bike of my own, but we'll see if I do. And we're going to be exploring the incredible innovations in green tech and eco-friendly transportation. In this episode, we'll embark on a journey through the recent technological advances that are revolutionising the green transport landscape. We'll discover how these advancements are enhancing the efficiency and sustainability of our transportation systems, ultimately redefining what we know as rush hour. So, my dear, dear listeners, buckle up, or should I say pedal on? I'm really enjoying all the puns today. I was like, I was really proud of myself when I wrote this. Um, Because more eco-friendly travel options are growing. Sustainable transportation and other incredible technologies are shaping our future. Today, as I said, our guest is Amy Grimshaw from Cowboy Bikes, and I am just really excited to get into the conversation. First up, let's talk a little bit about tech. And as I said at the head of the season, we've been talking about blockchain technology and how it's enhancing sustainable living. But we're also talking about other technological advances and how they're helping with a more sustainable future. Blockchain and other emerging technologies are playing a transformative role in improving transportation on a global scale. A few episodes ago, we spoke about one of the most significant applications of blockchain technology in enhancing the efficiency and transparency of supply chains, including transportation of goods. In the realm of commuting, however, many countries are investing in smart mobility solutions powered by blockchain. These innovations allow for real-time data collection on traffic patterns, enabling smarter traffic management, reduced congestion and shorter commute times. Singapore, for instance, and is somewhere that I visited quite recently, has embraced blockchain technology to develop a smart city initiative that includes dynamic road pricing and efficient public transportation systems, reducing the environmental impact of daily commuting. And it's a very, very busy city. So these sort of implementation of these technological advances and bringing this blockchain in is really going to improve the traffic and the commutability of this city. Furthermore, blockchain technology can incentivize eco-friendly behaviors through tokenization and reward systems. For instance, countries like the Netherlands have implemented blockchain-based solutions that reward commuters for choosing sustainable transportation options, such as cycling or using EVs or electric vehicles. These initiatives not only promote greener travel, but also foster a sense of collective responsibility for environmental conservation. And we'll be hearing a little bit more when we speak to Amy in a bit about the work that they do in the Netherlands and their consumers based out there. Technology is reshaping our approach to green transport. In cities around the world, traffic congestion has become a major headache, with cars moving at a pace slower than a horse and cart that they were aimed to replace. As the average speed of cars in cities like London dwindles to a crawl, it's clear that traditional transportation methods are no longer sustainable. And I'm saying sustainable in the traditional sense. So I live in London and I did some research when prepping for this episode because I wanted to make it relevant to me because I see the congestion on a daily basis that is around me. And according to the Mayor of London and the London Assembly site, the average speed of cars in inner London 
was 19.2 miles per hour in 2020. So fast forward, it's 2023 now. And in recent news in the past couple of months, it's come out that they're looking to implement more 20 mile an hour zones across London. When you think that three years ago, the the average speed was 19.2 miles per hour, they're not wrong really, are they? We've all kind of said, oh, 20 miles an hour is really slow, but there's a reason. There's a safety element. And then if you're in an, a hybrid vehicle, you'll stay in the electric mode, which is better for the environment and just generally better for your energy and fuel consumption as a driver. So this data is taken between the hours of 7am and 7pm as well, I should state that. So however, it has been reported that London is the world's slowest city. And I can believe that. With speeds in 2022, so this is two years after the original study, plummeting to just nine miles per hour, according to the TomTom Traffic Index. So I just want to also point out 2020, I feel like the speeds would have been higher because global pandemic, world shut down all of that stuff, a hell of a lot less cars on the road. So then 2022, when the world reopened, everything's plummeted in London down to nine miles an hour. I feel like I could probably walk at least four miles an hour, if not maybe slightly, slightly faster. I'm quite a a fast walker. When I was reading this, I sort of sat down for a minute. I really had to think about what that means. Interestingly, Thursday evening rush hour seems to be the worst with speeds, quote unquote, I say that lightly, only reaching around eight miles an hour, which is roughly 13 kilometres per hour for anybody who uses kilometres. In my opinion, you'd be better off walking or cycling. This is where innovative solutions like e-bikes come into play. We've spoken about EVs here on the podcast last season and the season before. So electric vehicles are something that have been on my radar for a really long time. And in talking about transport in this season, I wanted to come from a different angle. So I thought, why not talk about electric bikes or e-bikes? E-bikes are at the forefront of what we call a modal shift. And Amy will talk a little bit more about this. And it's a movement away from cars towards a more sustainable and more efficient modes of transport. There's incredible potential for e-bikes. And it's really evident that their time is now. With the push towards banning internal combustion engines by 2030 in Europe, change is inevitable and e-bikes are a key part of that change. Amy Grimshaw is our guest today and she's a specialist in digital innovators and has spent the past 11 years working in tech PR, focusing on e-commerce, startups and VCs, having moved into micro-mobility after the pandemic when she became addicted to cycling. So I feel like she's a great one because not only does she speak about the comms side of things, she's a user as well. Amy now heads up global comms and brand partnerships for award-winning B Corp Belgian e-bike brand Cowboy. Let's chat to Amy. So, Amy, thank you so, so much for joining me. I'm really excited to speak to you because I'm a big fan of the brand and want to know everything there is to know about Cowboy. But let's start with recent technological advances and things like that, seeing as we're talking all about green tech and green transport on this episode. So how have sort of recent developments in technology in the green transport space improve the efficiency and sustainability of our transportation systems compared to more traditional methods? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. I'm very excited. It's the first for me. I've prepared people to be on podcasts, but it's so lovely to actually get to do one myself. So thank you so much, Bianca. And it's a real passion point for me. I mean, I 
you know, we were just chatting before we hit record I, that I got into cycling in lockdown and it's now something that's transformed my life. I live in the city and so anything I can do to encourage people and particularly women as a staunch feminist to cycle is, is really important. So thanks for the opportunity. You touched on efficiency there and that is absolutely a key point. You know, we've now got a situation, Bianca, where you know, there are huge tech advancements in EVs. You know, let's look at Tesla, for instance. But the irony is cars just aren't moving. If you live in a congested city like I do, you know, I'm out in East London and actually we have pretty good bike lanes here. But look, you know, London, I think, is the most congested city in the world. I think the average, I just looked it up this morning, the stat is 14 kilometers per hour average speed of a car in London. We've got a situation now where the car is actually traveling slower than the horse and cart that it was designed to replace. And the data is clear that half of all car trips are less than three miles. So we've got to remove the car from a lot of those journeys. You know, if you think about you're in a traffic jam and think, God, a third of these cars weren't here, I would be on my way, you know, a lot faster. So I think e-bikes is really part of that, what we call modal shift. And I I hate the term, but that's essentially, it's let's strip the cars away and how are we going to replace it? Well, we've shifted different modes and e-bikes are key. So the time for e-bikes is is now, 100% is now. You know, Fortune just put out a piece in the summer which said that the industry is now worth around $120 billion by 2030. So it's really, really blowing up. And the reason for that is that, you know, look, the push bike is probably one of, if not the greatest invention, you know, that humans have ever seen. But we're not going to see huge amounts of growth and adoption because we obviously have to get out of the car. We know that for the planet, you know, internal combustion engines are going to be banned by 2030 in Europe. So change has got to happen, but people aren't going to get onto push bikes because the reason we were talking about before, when we we started recording, or look at your parents or your family or your friends, why aren't they cycling? It could be that you aren't particularly confident. Maybe your fitness isn't quite there. you, You have safety fears. You need to carry a lot of equipment. You need to travel a long distance or whatever. And so the bike isn't going to answer all of those problems, but the e-bike really, really can. So essentially the e-bike's taken that a traditional invention and made it better. So we have an incredible software team at Cowboy because technology is going to be a really key factor in solving some of those problems and those pain points. So first of all, you put your phone on the mount on, on in the, what we call the cockpit and it, and it actually charges it as well, which is, has saved my bacon many, many times when I'm cycling home. But the app is your navigation. So the only e-bike brand to partner with Google Maps, which incidentally, I think is a really great signal for e-bike industry. If Google Maps are saying, yeah, we're doubling down now on map navigation for cyclists, I think that that's actually quite compelling. Um, but yes, there's a whole new turn-by-turn navigation, which I was testing last night, which was really fun, which, which you know, it's your home. So there's that, that guide. We mentioned, you know, fitness and um, carrying heavy bags, maybe. Well, you know, we have a piece of software, which is called Adaptive Power. And essentially that detects if I've got a heavy bag on or if I've got a child on the back or if it's a strong headwind or if I'm going up a hill and it will just give that extra push to keep you kind of in the in the flow. But, you know, e-bike riders get more exercise than manual pedal riders anyway. The stats are, are clear on that. You know, they travel twice per week um, if you have an e-bike. You use it generally, you know, more. So, but I think just maybe just to wrap up on the point actually is because of this, you know, we say that we have the most connected bike and, and what's the power of, of connectivity. We collect thousands of data points every second. And so if you imagine if we were able to responsibly package and share that data with cities or governments and we could show them, OK, well, we know which routes our riders are taking or 
which routes they're not taking. So the infrastructure isn't quite right there. Or we know where, because of our crash detection technology, we know where people are having incidents. Or because of our theft detection, we know where our bikes are being stolen. Um, You know, imagine if we could share that data responsibly with governments and they could either, you know, work with law enforcement or they could improve infrastructure, improve lighting, put a new path. We also have safety alerts that pop up on the app to show you if you're coming up to a particularly dangerous junction. So again, you know, imagine if we could give that to London, for instance, for their Santander bike scheme, then you're you're instantly you know, dealing with a lot of barriers to cycling there. You've literally blown my mind. I feel like you've done the whole podcast episode in, in like one question. <laughs> oh, great. This, this is phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. Bye, guys. Um, I didn't realise how much went into this. And there's me thinking just about the transport side in terms of us reducing our um, carbon emissions with using a bike or using an e-bike more specifically. But there's so much that goes into it. And the tech just is so vast. Wow. The anti-theft is amazing. And knowing where there's collisions and things like that it can help to improve safety for cyclists and then ensure that more people then take that step and go out there and do this. But one thing that I do want to kind of raise with you is what about the affordability and accessibility. Now, e-bikes are, they are quite expensive um the sort of starting price for the ones that I've seen when I've been doing research has been around two thousand pounds some of them going up to around three and a half grand but how can we make this green transport more accessible and affordable for a wider range of commuters kind of contributing to that increased adoption of using e-bikes over your car yeah accessibility is absolutely fundamental you're and I'm so glad that you raised it I think on price quickly again you know there are tech solutions to this you know we are doing things like you know able to spread payments with things like Klarna we are also testing subscription models in some of our European markets as well we're you know relatively young company and we're testing lots of you know and learning from all these different kind of you know ways of, of paying and we also because we're a B Corp we also do refurbished bikes. So let's say people have either, you know, upgraded their bike and we've got their old version, an older model, then we refurb it and we list it on the website and they sell incredibly fast. So they're they're things that we're thinking about all the time. But on cost, you know, we calculated just recently and looked at the cost of electricity in London at the moment. And we calculated that it costs about one pence per mile to run a cowboy. So if you think about that in comparison to a car or to public transport, very, very quickly, you're able to save us quite a significant amount of money. But I think on accessibility, it's about design as well because I was recently at a, a huge bike show in Frankfurt I mean I, I can't believe that I am the kind of person that goes to bike shows now but this is how much it's sort of changed my life but there were thousands Bianca thousands and they all look the bloody same and they personally maybe this is I'm coming at this from a, a, a female lens but female gaze but I got the sense that a lot of them are for that very well-served 5% of people who are already really into bikes, they've already got two or three, they're avid cyclists, they want an extra one as an extra toy that maybe has got an extra boost button or an extra gear or an extra sport mode or da-da-da-da-da, these things. But with Cowboy, we're like, no, 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 simplicity is key. We want to make it as simple as the bike that you learned to ride on. And it's magic when you get on it for the first time. The, I'm actually going to start filming people's expressions, actually. It's like, oh, my God, because it's so easy that you just get on and pedal. And that simplicity in design is key. And my colleague, Richard Bone, who's our design director, doesn't actually come from a, a bike 
background. I know that might sound counterintuitive, but he's from like interior fashion and that kind of more human centered design is um, is really quite significant. And we, we call it rider centric innovation. So like I said, there's that 5% that have got that really know all their bikes and really into the gadgets and the gizmos, but then they've got 95%. And I think you are maybe in that 95% Bianca who kind of are interested in getting sight and know that you maybe you'd save money or that you'd get fitter doing it, or it'd be more convenient, but you're not quite sure. So let's look at what we call use cases. So who are those different people in urban environments and what do they need? So is it if fitness is something that's an issue or let's look at what we call the gear ratio. So how many times you have to pedal in a minute? Maybe we could decrease that slightly. Maybe we could design it so that in our, our latest cruiser model, your visibility is better. So it's suddenly a more instead of a race, more of a racy, sporty feel. You've got an upright kind of what we call a Dutch riding position. So you're sort of sat like this. So you, all of a sudden your visibility on the road is really, really good. You know, comfort is really important for people. So we've developed the saddle in a different way. If you look at also, we know that our step-through bike is now our most shared vehicle in the in the house. So we know that people are carrying the kids on the back or their older kids are using it or the parents are sharing it, grandparents are sharing it, the nanny's using it. So, we, you know, we've, we've basically made a bike that's so simple and pleasant enough to ride, fun enough to ride that everybody wants to share it. And also, like if you live, you know, I live in a flat. I'm on the third floor. No garage where you can charge your bike. No problem. It's, the battery is removable. So it's those sorts of design features that also will help people to make that conversion into bikes. I think. And being able to do that, I think, gives people that adaptability with something like this. Because I live in a complex where mm. there are charging ports here, but it's all um, centered around car charging. So it's the big clumpy plug-in ones that look like a petrol um, yeah. so for me if I, I was thinking to myself how would I charge it do I need to leave the bike outside do I bring it inside to charge when you were saying it and then you literally just said you can remove the battery pack which is fantastic it gives people that flexibility you can take like I'm thinking about people in an office you park your bike underneath the way or in your car park or whatever at work take the battery pack out can charge it whilst you're in the office and then go home without thinking about it as you were talking about those that five percent as well it was making me think of a very specific person like there's a specific like set of men more specifically that I always see when I'm on the train and they're the ones that do like the cycle from like South London down to Brighton every weekend and that's their hobby and they'll be sitting on the train coming back from Brighton and you just sort of see them chatting all about bikes and oh my god and the gears and did you see the road speed and blah 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 blah. I'm like what (laughs) cycling is the new goal I think for a lot of people yeah there's a very specific person that I think of when I think of a cyclist Mm. or someone who's really into their bikes that's the person I think of but if you're catering to that 95% who is actually the majority of the rest of the market you're more likely to bring people in like me who would love to cycle but get a little bit nervous because I'm not a professional or think to myself am I going to get taken out by a bus because I live in London and it's all these things thinking about the safety element the uh, the navigation the ease of use all these things make it more accessible in that sense and I love the idea that you'll be able to spread payments and having that refurb model available makes it again so much more accessible for people where it is a very large investment and there is a certain level of privilege associated with that cost. But being able to A, buy refurbished or B, split the cost of something just makes it so much easier for people to 
make those conscious changes in their lifestyle. Completely. And I think it shouldn't just be down to, because, you know, companies like like Cowboy, you know, we obviously need to be a responsible business. And as much as we'd love to discount constantly, and, you know, we obviously want to reinvest in that technology and that software. And obviously those think that's expensive. And so it's not just down to the bike companies. It should be down to you know, I'm probably going to say this a lot in this podcast, but big, bold policy decisions as well. You know, if you look at in the US, they've just launched what they call the E-Bike Incentive Act, which gives $1,500 off an e-bike. It's been hugely successful. And yes, that is a large short-term upfront cost. But the benefits of people not using (laughs) their cars, you know, the benefit to the planet and to their health is enormous. I think there's something like, and I don't have the exact stat and I can try and find it, but it's something about cost-benefit ratio of every pound that you spend on cycling infrastructure or active travel, you get five pounds back in terms of savings that you make for people for healthcare, uh, in hospitalization, also for environmental benefits. And if you look at somewhere like, you know, again, France, their subsidies are huge um, for buying an e-bike. And again, they've just announced a further €2 billion Euros spent on their cycling infrastructure, protected bike lanes in the city centre. I don't know if you're, you've been to Paris recently, but it's a cycling city now. And it's bold policy decisions. You know, It's not specific to bikes, but in Germany last summer, they announced a €9 Euro for the full month. And it's basically all you can travel, all as much public transport as you can possibly use um, for €9 Euros a month. So that's your local bus onto a tram, onto a train, onto a regional train. And then you could also use it for micromobility for that last mile solution. So your, you know, your e-scooters or your rental e-bikes, for instance. Like, Corporate leasing schemes are key, you know, um, cycle to work schemes. These are really, really important and, again, help to spread that cost and break down that barrier. But, um, you know, we really need our government here to really focus on that, I think, and and prioritise it. 100% agree with you on that. In the context of green transport, how are sort of the emerging technologies that we're talking about, like EVs or electric vehicles and smart transportation systems, as well as things like alternative fuel, contributing to more environmentally friendly and efficient transportation, sort of like an eco, because I consider it to be an ecosystem within itself. So how are all of these alternatives contributing to that? Mm, I think it's about, again, an awful term, but modal mix as well. And I think, like I said, you know, like the German example, it's about just taking the car out of the equation completely altogether. You know, in Belgium, for instance, there's still tax incentives to having a a company car. So everyone obviously takes a lovely company car. But that means that Belgium is, I think, maybe fourth, fifth, fifth most congested city in the whole of Europe. So, you know, what do we do there? And I think, again, you know, we just talked about those big, bold policy decisions and it's carrot and stick, isn't it, Bianca? You know, and I think maybe in the UK, we're going a little bit more stick. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got the ultra low emission zones at the moment where in London, where people are being, we're going to have to pay you know, 12 quid a day to use their car. I think it's, it's an imperfect solution to a very, very complicated problem. But also worry that the active travel budget here has been pillaged a little bit, which was paying for some of these incentives and paying for bike lanes and and whatnot, really funding some of those subsidies. So I'm a little bit kind of concerned about that. But again, you know, what part does our data play in in overcoming some of those barriers? But, you know, I think this is about kind of redefining the rush hour, really. And I think as a B Corp, it's about getting getting and keeping people on their bikes and 
it's not just about people buying cowboy bikes, although as, as lovely as that would be, it's about when people have bought them, it's about keeping them on the road as well. And I think there was something that we did quite recently, a cowboy, which was called Bikey, which is essentially we reverse engineered Van Moof, which was one of our biggest competitors. Unfortunately, they've, they've faced bankruptcy. And when we got wind of the fact that they were going to face bankruptcy, our amazing software team worked through the night to kind of reverse engineer their app so that it would enable van move riders to safely store their digital key. So what that means is if in the event of bankruptcy and they turned off their servers, all of those people that own those bikes wouldn't be able to use them anymore. So we built a way of those those riders, even though they're not our customers, but there's thousands of them, right? So we want to keep people on, on bikes and not going back to petrol powered trips or getting, you know, ride hailing or any of that. So we enabled this, you know, this app which so many people downloaded. I think it was the number one most downloaded app in the Netherlands on the week that we launched it. It was bigger than ChatGPT that week, for instance. But, you know, as a B Corp, it's just something that's, you know, it's kind of in our ethos as a business. And Kareem, actually, one of our one of our three co-founders says that if you want to change the world, you have to be better than the thing you're trying to change. So we've got to be bigger than the fact that it was a competitor's bike. We've got to be bigger than that. And we'll build a solution to it regardless, because we really fundamentally believe in what what we're trying to do, which is get people on on bikes. I love what you said there, and I'm definitely taking that for a soundbite. Redefining rush hour. Yeah. <laughs> way. I think I might even use that. Yeah. No, I mean, use that for for the title of the episode. Like that is brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> that was phenomenal. I was just like, what? <laughs> I typed it straight away. It's always like a working comms, Bianca, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you would have never guessed. <laughs> We're all on a journey towards a greener future, making conscious choices about the products we buy. Have you ever wondered about the origins of the jewellery you wear? Well, wonder no more. Ernest Jones, Britain's favourite high street jeweller, is launching an exclusive new collection called Origin by Ernest Jones. This dazzling collection features 28 diamond rings, from classic solitaires to contemporary halo designs. But what sets it apart is the transparency it offers. Every diamond in the collection is fully traceable, responsibly sourced and handcrafted in recycled platinum or gold. How do they do it? With cutting-edge blockchain technology, you can now trace your diamond's unique journey from the depths of the earth to your finger. The blockchain records every step, including design, sourcing, cutting and assessing, giving you a digital passport for your diamond. Ernest Jones is a proud member of the World Diamond Council and the Responsible Jewellery Council. They've partnered with trusted suppliers to ensure their diamonds are conflict-free, responsibly sourced and come from ethical mines that prioritise the well-being of miners and the environment. And guess what? Ernest Jones is the first UK retailer to bring this fully traceable blockchain-powered collection to their high street stores. So join us in leading the way to a more sustainable future with Origin by Ernest Jones. Let's make a difference, one diamond at a time. Shop the collection now in store or online at ernestjones.co.uk. So moving on to our last question, with the fast paced sort of evolution of technology and innovation, how do you envision the future of e-bikes and their role in promoting eco-friendly commuting? Are there any exciting developments or projects that you'd really like to highlight in what it is that you're doing with Cowboy? 
I mean, I, I think you're so right to focus on the commute. I think that there's something that impacts so many of us and with relatively small changes could make a massive impact on our health and well-being, our anger and frustration levels in the morning, but you know, also the health of the planet. I did a little bit of prep before we met because I know that we were going to be talking about the commute and um, actually in September is World Coffee Day, but we kind of celebrate the whole month and I just surveyed some of our riders ahead of this podcast um, on their commuting habits and it's actually quite staggering. 94%, I'm just going to read this so I don't get it wrong, 94% of the, our respondents use their cowboy to commute. 44% always use it. <laughs> and 33% often. 59% use it as because it's a lot more convenient than their car. And, you know, nearly 50% are using it more than five times a week to commute. So it, it really is changing. And, and I should say, you know, I know that this is a predominantly UK podcast and our biggest markets are the Netherlands. But Paris is now on one of our biggest. You know, Berlin, again, has just made massive in infrastructure investment into bike lanes. And so this is totally achievable. They don't have different climates to us. This is completely achievable in, in the UK as well. With any business or campaign or cause or if you want it to grow, strategic partnerships are really, really key here. And so I would encourage everybody listening to check out our Instagram, which is Cowboy Bike, to look at our latest collaborations. But you know, there's no surprise here that we work with social influencers, particularly within the design, architecture and fashion space, you know, people who city dwellers need to get around their cities efficiently. We're working on London Design Festival and Paris Fashion Week at the moment and people are traveling huge distances around the city but you know they can't get stuck in a taxi and they also don't want to be sweaty on arrival so you know that we're working with lots of, of partners there and influencers are fantastic Bianca as you as you know at really driving awareness of, of something and if it means that they're making a couple of people think oh do you know what actually I could I could do that I could I could you take an e-bike then that's mission accomplished and we've got quite a lot of partnerships in the pipeline um, but a recent one actually which a wonderful French fashion brand called Bash one of the world's biggest um, you know women's wear brands a huge retail footprint and massive online all over the world and whilst it might appear slightly counterintuitive at first glance our values around design quality aesthetics sustainability um they do amazing things with circular and which we, we think is really, really really impressive and so we were totally aligned and they came to us and said look we want to do a back to school kind of autumn campaign around focusing the bike and commuting on a bike is the lead thing so again we're talking about big bold policy decisions you've now got a parisian brand who has, you know, seen all of these bike lanes popping up in their city, they're now thinking, okay, actually, yeah, we should be cycling. This is a really cool thing. Let's make a whole campaign out of it. And so it was amazing to work with them. We made some limited edition bikes that are now in some of their stores. That's where the, the, that's that, that real intersection of bold public policy, private companies do, designing something that solves a, a, salute, a problem. And then as a result, other brands really wanting to be a part of it and I think I know we've I guess one thing that I just really wanted to also mention I know we're on the last question but we talked a lot about the, in this podcast about the commute and I really recognize that particularly because I've just surveyed our riders about it a lot did say well I'm not actually commuting anymore I work from home but so it's my kind of de facto leisure vehicle 
but there was some really interesting research and I'm happy to share all these links with you after Bianca if you need that for the show notes or anything but there's a really interesting piece of research which came out of a US uh, university called Emory University they found that they actually did the research on e-scooters and rental e-bikes but they found that each one of those vehicles generated an extra $1,000 of incremental spending within their local community. And that's because you don't need to, we were talking before about parking and things like that, you don't need to worry about parking, you just pop on a bike, jump off it, you know, lock it up or, or leave it, whatever. And because you're going to be running your errands, you're going to be popping into bars, restaurants, cafes are the big winners as well that they found in this research. So it's also potentially transformative for local communities as well. I think there's also real links with how it could transform the high street too, which again is really interesting when we're currently working with retail brands like Bash. So I think that that's really interesting that it's not just about the commute. It's actually about there's a significant economic impact to be had saving our high streets as well by getting people onto onto e-bikes and they're able to carry their shopping home because you know, the bike is going to give them an extra bit of support as they as they cycle up the hill home, for instance. It's interesting, going back to a point that you said just near the start of that, your answer, about climates being similar between here, Germany, the Netherlands. We have quite a large followership from Germany. So for us, as a podcast and as a platform, we're like UK, US, Germany, then the Netherlands, funnily enough. So for us, whenever I talk about these things or whenever I talk about e-bikes, my, my mind automatically goes to, oh, but would you want to commute on it if it's raining? But if the majority of your users are more are based in those cities that have a similar climate, then why the hell not? My colleagues in the Netherlands, a few colleagues in, in Amsterdam, so I get to go there quite a bit with work, which is brilliant because I love it. And it's like a cycling mecca, you know, and they always say to me, you're not made of sugar. That's like a saying that they have. You're not made of sugar. So get on your bike. There's no such thing as bad weather. There's just bad clothing. I think it's absolutely, God, I'm sounding like my dad now. You know, get outside. But I think that that's key. But again, you know, Amsterdam, Berlin, if you look at photos or video footage of Amsterdam from like the late 60s, it's worse congestion than London. And then you look at it from the early 70s when they started to transform it into a bike hub and everybody cycles. It's now a complete culture, you know, it's a part of their culture. I think there are no reasons why we can't be doing that here in the UK, none. Thank you so much for joining me, Amy. We could have probably chatted for about two hours because we, we did speak offline for a little bit as well and... We were just having like a catch up. You would have thought that we were friends for days or for years at least when we were chatting. It's quite funny. But yeah, I really enjoyed speaking to Amy about e-bikes and all the amazing work that Cowboy are doing. I hope that you've all learned something today from this episode. As I said, it's something that we've spoken about a couple of times and I wanted to kind of come at it from a slightly different angle because there's so much happening in the space. Join me next week as we speak a lot more about blockchain and its role in sustainable supply chains, specifically in improving traceability. Until next week, make sure you subscribe and listen back to previous episodes of Sustainably Influenced on all good podcast platforms. You can follow at Sustainably Influenced on Instagram and TikTok and our newly launched platform. I'm Bianca Foley. Thank you for listening. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller and presented by Bianca Foley.